Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. On this edition of the podcast, I'll have some college hockey talk. You remember college hockey, don't you, Union and RPI fans? Well, ECAC Hockey is down to its three-team tournament. I'll have sound from Monday's Zoom call with Quinnipiac coach Ram Pecknold, St. Lawrence coach Brent Brecky, and Colgate coach Don Vaughn. After that, I'll talk with my very special guest, Linda Cohn of ESPN, about the NHL returning to the worldwide leader in sports. But first, are you ready for some football? Yes, it seems strange to ask that question just after St. Patrick's Day, but the high school football season kicks off this weekend as part of the fall two sports season, and to help us break it down is Adam Schinder of the Daily Gazette and Recorder. Adam, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, glad to be here. Well, appreciate you coming on. Uh, gosh, it seems kind of weird we're talking in high school football in March, mid-March. It is a very, very bizarre thing in a very, very bizarre 12 months. Uh, yeah, high school high school football. Uh, as I've talked to a number of people during this week, they're used to the well. It's very very hot when we start, and it's very very cold when we finish. So they're used to cold temperatures, but not at the beginning of the season. And uh, they could be playing them right up until the beginning of May. So it's uh, very much it's football. It's football in reverse, which yeah. is uh, which is unique. And there's some rumors that we might have some snow this weekend, which make things very interesting. <laughs> oh, that's gonna uh, in a, in a year where so many teams are already struggling to get on their fields if you have a grass field snow is just going to make things uh, even more chaotic but as long as there's as long as there's no lightning and as long as the snow's not canceling school you'd, ha- you'd have to think they're going to play yeah well we just finished the winter sports season now we have a short turnaround to get ready for the, the football season a long way for these players they a lot of them haven't really gotten yeah we're trying to work out it's been kind of tough but uh I mean, just talk about this, the short turnaround and the uh, long wait we've had. Yeah, it's extremely, extremely odd. Uh, short turnaround from season to, season to season is something that high school athletes are used to, but it's usually from fall to winter or from winter to spring. The traditional fall sports, and football especially, you have an entire summer. And uh, if you aren't doing a spring sport, those teams are starting with, with off-season workouts and seven-on-sevens back in the spring. They have six months where they're really dedicated to things, and obviously they've been able to start getting some workouts in, and they were able to do meetings over Zoom, and teams were able to lift or do certain things, but they couldn't start practice until March the 7th, and then they're playing games March 19th. Normally, you've got, even without that, you've got a three-week buildup, two weeks of preseason camp, a scrimmage, and then a week of practice before your first game. So it's really, really a quick turnaround. Uh, but I would say just about everyone is ready for it, just in the sense that they wanted to be playing back in September, and now it's March. Yeah, you've uh, wrote about Amsterdam. Uh, just just being around the everybody talking to you, it seems like there's a lot of enthusiasm. Everybody's happy to be able to play. Yeah, these kids, the coaches and the kids, uh, spent so long wondering uh, if there'd be a season at all that just to get the chance to play in this uh, seven-week compacted season, uh, I, it might not be the prettiest football uh, at points, and high school football often isn't the prettiest game. So it could be some 
Could be some sloppy play, but enthusiasm might be at an all-time high. And as you mentioned, the weather, normally these guys are you know, getting ready for season in the summertime when it's hot, and now cold weather, I mean, as the coaches concerned about that, injuries and all that? I think the co- if the coaches are concerned about injuries, it's probably more from a lack of conditioning, uh, not being up to game shape after being off for so long. Uh, I think you're going to see in a lot of play- places, teams that have numbers are going to use a lot of guys if they can. I think a lot of coaches would like to avoid playing two-way guys, 70-80 snaps. Uh, but an, an odd thing, I was talking to, to Amsterdam coach uh, John Homich, their new coach. The one thing they didn't have to be concerned about that you're normally concerned about with preseason is heat exhaustion and dehydration. You know, normally during the summer, you they're worried about losing practice. You know, if the heat index gets too high, being forced to go inside. That is, uh, it got up to 60 last week, but uh, I was out in Amsterdam on Monday, and I think the wind chill might have gotten down near zero. Oh, that's not good. So, uh, who are some of the teams we should uh, look at this uh, in this shortened season? Well, when you when you start out, you have to look at the the defending champions uh, from a year ago, and that starts in Double A with Shenandoah, who lost a huge star uh, in their running back Billy Beach, but they bring back their their starting quarterback Brody Vincenzi, and they are. A team that is always at such an advantage every year for the sheer number of players they had. We had a story from uh, from Stan Hoody earlier this week. 60 varsity yeah. players. You have college teams that can barely scrap 60 <laughs> players together. Uh, Class A is always a... Uh, it's always... as the, the top of Class A is always super, super deep. Queensbury won it back in 2019. Burnhills had kind of a down year for them early in that year and still reached the semifinals. Troy uh, has really established itself uh, in the last eight, nine years as a, as a super annual contender. Uh, and then, you know, Boston, Boston Spa team basically not playing on its own home field. They're practicing at Burnt Hills. They're an extremely interesting team. And uh, yes, I will harp on uh, my old stomping grounds, but Amsterdam... Uh, has had a few down years since they uh, since they won went to the state semifinals back in 2015. New coach in John Homage, the entire offensive line returns. Uh, just interesting to see what they bring as far as a new philosophy. Class B, extremely interesting in that there's not a defending champion to deal with. Schuylerville uh, move is down in Class C this year. Class B. Uh, actually shortened its season by a week, so everyone's basically playing scrimmages this first week. Glens Falls is always a powerhouse team, uh, but has really had a sort of sea change in the year since Joe Girard graduated. Holy Trinity had an incredible run for the last four years, uh, but graduated a huge number of players. Their great quarterback, Joe Tortello, he's at UAlbany now. Uh, Class C, Schuylerville moving down, becomes very, very interesting you had a team like Stillwater that had an incredible run that kind of built to their 2019 uh, Section 2 championship, graduated really the bulk of those contenders. And then uh, Class D, again, a lot of the classification shifts, so a lot of teams moved down to Class D, which means Cambridge is there. And whenever Cambridge is in Class D, you have to favor Cambridge to be as good as they are. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the fact that Boston Spots practicing on Burn Hills' uh, field. I think a number of teams are doing that this year. Why is that? I mean, the biggest issue, obviously, is a number of teams that play on grass that is just not going to be ready. I know Burnt Hills and Boston Spa are basically sharing the turf at Burnt Hills. Niskayuna 
is playing at Schenectady. I think you'll also see a lot of teams that just, if teams can find a way to move games somewhere that there's a turf field, especially in these first three, four weeks of the season in March and April, they're going to. You're also going to see some really odd game times and game days, uh, which is both for field avail- availability and uh, referees. There's a, there's a bit of a shortage of refs heading into this season. And so to get into the correct number of referee crews, you're going to see teams playing Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. We've got some odd kickoff times. <laughs> I know uh, there's some there's some good Friday kickoff times that are 1:30 in the afternoon on a Friday, which is just as weird a time for a football game as I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, uh, week one, you've got 4:30, 5 p.m. kickoffs for a couple of games on Friday. So it's not necessarily the Friday night lights we're all used to, but <laughs> it is football. It is high school football, and to have it back is is extremely nice after this last year. And you mentioned the referee situation. That's that's got to be tough for. Uh, you know, I mean, you may see officials what doing two games a week. Oh, you could see two, three games a week for certain crews. I know there's a few full veteran crews that just uh, they're older guys and they decided uh, really more out of concern for their families than mm-hmm. anything else, uh, just to avoid the the year uh, out of concerns over over COVID and. Yeah, it leaves you with some very short crews, maybe some crews that uh, are a little mixed and haven't worked together before. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you could see the crew conceivably work, you know, Friday. Most crews would work Friday and Saturday, but they could be throwing in a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Or if we get some stacked-up games on Saturday, you wonder if you maybe see the crew ref two games on a Saturday, you know, back-to-back somewhere. Yeah. Uh, if the teams talked about, the schools were talked about maybe if a game gets postponed because of colors, or what, is there any situation there where they could have to basically you know, with the seven weeks, there's really no yeah, there's, time. Yeah, unless they unless they decide to uh, worry about you know not not playing a a sectional championship or or league championship that have kind of been booked for week six and seven. It would be difficult because they do have a, a hard a hard out date before the spring sports have to start. Same as uh, the winter sports all had to get things done uh, by this past weekend. Yeah. Well, let's uh, look at some of the uh, games to watch in week one. I mean, I think it's got to start Friday night, uh, 6 p.m. at Sturwald Stadium. The Super Bowl we didn't get in 2019. Shaker was the number one seed going into those playoffs. Got upset by Gilderland in the semifinals. Shenandoah goes on to win that section title. Shaker had beaten Shen when they met, when they meet when they met during the regular season. Those are, have really been the two power programs in Class AA for for a pretty long time. Saratoga's been there as well, uh, but I think you're really looking at that is a, a highlight game straight off the bat. Uh, Boston Spa and Burn Hills, uh, two teams. Boston Spa knocked off Burn Hills early on last season. New coach. Uh, at Boston Spa, Greg O'Connor, Burn Hills is over the last 15 years the most consistent program in the entire section. That has the potential to be a, a really, really good game. Uh, Saturday, uh, two teams that have struggled a little bit, but Mahonison uh, hosting Niskayuna, and it's the first game for for John Gallo, a Mahonison legend, coaching his uh, his alma mater. Got a question for you: the schools are are they going to allow fans? Uh, it looks like some of them will allow uh, some fans. It looks like a lot of schools are doing the uh, the model that the Suburban Council used 
during the fall, the uh, fall sports, which is two spectators allowed per student. Uh, but I know a lot of schools, especially the Fulton and Montgomery County area schools, what they're not doing is allowing visiting fans. It's a home team only just to avoid uh, too many people from too many different counties moving together. And what game will we be at this uh, I believe I will be out at Burn Hills for Burn Hills and Boston Spa. Nice Class A showdown. Uh, two teams that uh, you know, right down the road from each other. So it's always interesting when they hook it up. Well, I'd appreciate it. We'll uh, be talking a lot of high school football on the podcast over the next seven weeks. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, it's going to be a busy time. But it's uh, good to see these kids get a chance to play. Yeah, let's play some football. Yes. Uh, thanks, Adam. It's Adam Schinder. Coming up, I'll preview the three-team ECAC hockey tournament. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette Sports Newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots Podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi. This is RPI men's hockey coach Dave Smith, and you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schock. Welcome back to the podcast. Despite having eight of its 12 teams, which included Union and RPI, opt out of the 2020-2021 season because of the coronavirus pandemic, ECEC Hockey moved forward with its season with Clarkson, Colgate, Quinnipiac, and St. Lawrence. Last week, Clarkson announced it was shutting down its season, leaving ECAC Hockey with just three teams. The puck drops on the ECAC Hockey Tournament Thursday when Colgate visits St. Lawrence in the semifinals. The winner will travel to Hamden, Connecticut to face regular season champion Quinnipiac on Saturday with an NCAA tournament berth at stake. On Monday, Quinnipiac coach Ram Pecknold, St. Lawrence coach Brent Brecky, and Colgate coach Don Vaughn were on a Zoom call with reporters to preview the tournament and look back at getting through the pandemic-affected season. First up is Ram Pecknold. His Bobcats went 10-4-4 in conference play and were 17-6-4 overall. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a grind of a season. Um, you know, it's just difficult um, from every aspect. I think our, our athletic trainer Dan Smith's done a done a fantastic job in kind of managing the whole process for us. I can't I can't give him enough credit for the year that we've had. Um, and and Doc Wong uh, isn't oversees all that, but you know they've just given me a lot of feedback on how to handle things. I think the first thing you think of as a coach is you know let's not let the players get COVID. So we've stressed that a lot and talked about making sacrifices and not going to parties and you know, uh, being smart about what we do. Um, but I think even more important as I learned, I didn't know this in the beginning, but as I learned is, is, is the contact tracing. Um, you really have to be aware of, of, you know, you're going to have people get COVID at some point and what you, what you don't want to do is lose players to the contact tracing. And so we've, we've had, we've had to manage that. Um, you know, like right now I have my guys spread out in four different locker rooms in our rink. Um, I have Keith Petrozelli by himself in, a, in an official's room, and, uh, and he, he's fine with it. It's not a punishment. It's you know he wants to stay healthy. We've done that most of the year. He comes back in on game day, so we've had to be creative in, in trying to uh, do things like that. Even if we if we get a Zamboni cut, we have guy. You know, we always have um, we spread guys out on benches. We we have one player each in each penalty box. Um, you know, things like that. And, and early in the year, one of one of the guys in the penalty box actually got COVID. 
and didn't shut anybody else down. So we got, we got fortunate with that. So we're just trying to be creative and, and think it through. Um, and there's a little bit of luck involved, but I give my players a lot of credit. They've, um, you know, they've made a lot of sacrifices to get where we are. Rand, um, how difficult has it been playing the same teams over and over again? I mean, it, you know, there was only four teams in the ECAC this year, and you played Long Island uh, University a few times. I mean, just playing the same teams over and over, I mean, did, did it get boring after a while? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it got boring. Um, it's different, though. It is uh, completely different than a normal year where we play – you know, somebody Friday night and then a different team Saturday night. Um, I thought the game prep um, was excellent. Uh, I, I felt that um, the other three coaches this year really, really challenged us. I thought, uh, you know, Vaughn, uh, Jones, and Brecky were, were all excellent. Their staffs were excellent. Like, it was – when you're playing somebody the fifth, sixth time, um, you know, there's no secrets. And, you know, there's a lot of adjustments that probably you don't have to make in a normal season in the ECAC. Um I thought they those three staffs really challenged us, made us better as a coaching staff, and you had you had to you had to do different things. You couldn't just stay to your exact lock in on just your identity. You had to you had to tweak things as you went. Um, but it didn't get boring. Uh, there's definitely there was a lot of animosity, you know, <laughs> not not so much in games one and two, but you get to games four, five, and six, like it it, it was it was getting a little nasty. Um, and uh, it was it was a different year for sure, um, but it's it's different when you have to play somebody. And I, I I can imagine what it's like to play, you know, in the NHL or AHL in a best of seven playoff series. You know, the, the tweaks and things that happen and the animosity that grows from game to game. Up next is Brent Brecky. St. Lawrence was four eight and two in ECACH play and four eight and three overall. Yeah, I think when you look back at the start of the year, the challenges was just not knowing when you're going to play your first game. You know, that was challenge number one, I think, for all of the players and ourselves as a staff. Uh, we were all faced with the same thing, the uncertainty where we're going to be playing that opening weekend in October. I, I think a lot of people felt that was not realistic, but I think there were still hopes, you know, when you talk about August and September, that we'd be playing hockey games in October at some point, which obviously, you know, we were a long ways from playing that first game. So I think just... Really trying to structure your season accordingly to prepare, you know, but also keep the guys' excitement level. I think that's such a huge, huge piece of uh, the mentality of a team is is making sure they're focused and energized and, and ready to come to the rink uh, to be get you know prepare and get better every single day. But when there's an unknown of when you're playing, it's easy for guys to take the foot off the gas, and I think that's you know the biggest thing in managing the first part of the season. I thought our guys did a good job of that. We tried to really focus on keeping their attention. To, with details and focus and again wanting to get better every single day so but that was probably the biggest challenge and once you get to game time it was an excitement level that hey now it's full speed ahead it was a sprint uh, and again that sprint can be put on pause quickly which we found uh, at different times during the year where you know you're excited to play and all of a sudden the next thing you know you're told hey there's no game other teams uh, on a pause or you get put in a pause as your own program uh, and working through those obstacles was a challenge all the way along but you know, I think our guys handled that um, as well as they could to be considered the the situation. So I, I thought the focus was good. Brent, how tough was it to see the same opponent over and over again? Uh, you know, with just a four team league this year. I don't think it was tough. I, I liked it. I think preparation. You really get to focus. You know, our normal season is you're playing different opponents from a Friday night to a Saturday night. 
um, you know, having been in, in different conferences and in the ECAC, it's it's different. A lot of the other conferences, you play the same opponent back to back nights. From a prep standpoint and a focus standpoint, I think it's um, it's easier at times, you know, because you're not quickly switching gears to play a different opponent the next night. Um, so you can really kind of dial into to what you want to focus on, you know, for two specific games. And, and obviously, some weekends we had three games against the same opponent. So. I liked it. Uh, I think it is a good thing. You know, guys want to play pro hockey after this, and you get in a divisional uh, matchups where you are going to see the same teams a lot in pro hockey. So the guys that you know, have aspirations of doing that after college, this is a good preparation for that. Finally, it's Don Vaughn, who earlier this season coaches 1,000th game at Colgate. The Raiders are 5-9-4 in conference and 6-10-5 overall. First of all, we're, we're, just, we're fortunate to be playing. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, based on everything that's gone on this year. Um, I couldn't be more proud of our guys for how resilient they've been. I think uh, Colgate and all the other schools that are still playing deserve a lot of credit for all the work they put in and the money they've spent uh, to get us to this place. Um, you know, we're testing. I think we're all testing three times a week, um, which isn't cheap. So I think, you know, the, the institutions have, have really stepped up to allow us to get to this place where we have a chance to compete for a championship. And, our, and it doesn't, you know, and, and that doesn't go unnoticed by our guys. I mean, our guys are, are, are very grateful that, that the schools have stepped up. I think they've, they've done a good job of, you know, continuing to uh, make that commitment to community health. And, and it takes everybody. It takes every student on campus to do that, uh, faculty, staff. I mean, uh, we, I think we tested, uh, I think, 3,000 or something last week and not one positive case on campus. So everybody's doing their part. And, and you know, we're just thrilled to be playing and, uh, and a chance to, to, to play for a championship. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. Don, uh, how much do you miss the other eight teams that opted out? And it was, it, was it boring to play in the same teams over and over? Well, we miss the other eight for sure. Um, you know, it's the, I think it's the best league in the country. It's the most balanced league with the best coaches. And you're challenged every night. And, of course, we you know we miss playing those. Our, you know we have our, our big rival Cornell, I and mean, we miss those games. I know our fans did. Um, but in terms of playing, you know, the same teams over and over again, I mean, it's a bit of a chess match, Ken. I mean, you, you know, you gotta you have to be careful that you don't overcoach um, because you still want to be true to your team and, and and your game. But there's a lot of little tweaks going on. I mean, you get to know the other team's structure very well and systems and. Um, you know, power plays. So you're always trying to make a minor adjustment here or there just to throw the other team off a little bit, but at the same time, staying true to who you are as a team. And that's the sort of the balancing act that we've, we've sort of had to deal with as a staff this year. So, um, but I mean, not boring though. I can tell you that. I mean, we, you know, we played, uh, we we played two of the top 15 teams in the country, a combined 14 times this year in, in uh, Clarkson and, and Quinnipiac. And, for our young team, I mean, that is a baptism by fire, and uh, we've learned a ton. We've grown as a group. Um, our development has been enhanced uh, because of that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so from that standpoint, it's been a great development piece for our team um, playing those teams that many times. Don, you uh, earlier this year coached your 1,000th game at, at Colgate. Uh, what are some of your top memories? Yeah. There's so many, as you can imagine. Um, I just, I, I just feel, I just, I think when I get to the, it hits those milestones for me. It's just a time to reflect on how.
how fortunate I've been and, and how many great people I've been able to work with, you know, former assistant coaches, some great players like Mike Harder, who actually came back to work for us. Um, you know, Brad Dexter, Ron Fogarty, Andrew Dixon, all these guys that played for me that ended up working with me. Um, I think of those guys, uh, I think of obviously the certain teams that were, were special, like our 2000 team with Andy McDonald, um, you know, playing in the, in Albany against Michigan and the, you know, the, yeah, unfortunately, you think of some of the other stuff too that aren't that wasn't so great. The, the you know the the contested goal uh, where we scored in overtime and they wouldn't review it. I mean, those things come to mind. But you try to focus on the on the good times, and you know it's it's uh, it's not so much the games either. It's the relationships and the fun you have away from the rink, and um, you know, and you just hope that in some way you've been able to help you know guys develop and become the best versions of themselves and put them in a, in a position to go on and be successful. And we've had a lot of that. I mean, we've got a lot of guys. I think of certainly the guys that have played in the NHL and Andy Winnes, Stanley Cup, and bringing it back to Colgate. I mean, those were very special moments. But I've also have been fortunate to coach five guys that are now doctors. Um, you know, I, I think of those things, too, and so many other guys that have gone on to be successful and you know are leading productive lives with young families. So it's, it can be a little overwhelming when you start to think of it in those terms. But... Uh, that's what happens at those milestones. So I've been really lucky to be here this long, obviously. So. I know John McGraw just tweeted out the other day about the 10-year anniversary of the uh, overtime goal at Union in the uh, quarterfinals. I mean, that to complete the uh, Capital Region Daily Double for you coming in here as a 12 seed, beating RPI, and then beating Union the following week. I think about that a lot too. Actually, that, that you know, we were the 12 seed, and and both all those games went to overtime. I mean, it was that's you know, it was crazy. That uh, probably why I look as old as I do. <laughs> I know the feeling, trust me. <laughs> More hockey talk is coming up. I'll speak with ESPN's Linda Cohn about the return of the NHL to the network. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic, 
We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey Coach Rick Bennett. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. That familiar theme is coming back. The NHR is returning to ESPN next season for the first time since the 2003-04 season. A seven-year contract was announced last Wednesday, and my next guest is very happy about that. She is the host of uh, In the Crease on ESPN+. You also know her as an anchor on SportsCenter. Please welcome Linda Cohn. Linda, thanks for coming on. How the heck are you? Ken, it's been a while. Uh, congratulations on your success, number one. And number two, yes, I am pumped up, and that music is amazing. But let me tell you, people who watch us religiously on In the Crease for two and a half years on ESPN Plus knows we, we use that music daily. So in my mind, it has never left my radar. Yeah, and I know they use it for the college hockey tournament, which starts up next weekend. Uh, I know we have the Northeast Regional coming here to Albany uh, uh, next weekend, so that'll be a lot of fun. I'll be out covering that, uh, getting back into the groove of covering college hockey. Oh, that's fantastic. Good for you, yeah. for sure. So before we start, I was, we were talking off air, and I was mentioning I, we had, you, I had first met you at the uh, debut of ESPN2 back uh, in October of 1993, and uh, any, any time I stopped at ESPN on my travels when I was covering Union College Hockey, if I stopped uh, in on, on my way to Yale, I stopped in. You always, if I ran into you, you always said hi. You're always nice to me, and I always appreciated that. It's, it's, uh, and I, uh, like I said, it's, it's great uh, you, your success, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, saying what you're saying about me. Yeah, well, listen, you know what, Ken? I mean, first of all, that's what the hockey community is all about, right? I mean, we're all we're all in it uh, because we love the game so much and we're passionate about it. We're all kind of cut from the same cloth, different levels of uh, fandom. Um, but you bring up 1993 and the, uh, when ESPN2 first burst onto the scene. I was at ESPN for only a year at that time, maybe less, because I started in July of 1992. And when you think about it, it was the National Hockey League that helped build ESPN2 and helped grow ESPN2 mm-hmm. because on a nightly basis, we were as hockey fans and everyone who was watching watch NHL hockey on ESPN2 a nightly, more than one game, uh, many nights of the week on one uh, particular day. Yeah, those are great times. And, you know, with, this, with the streaming service at ESPN Plus and Hulu, uh, yeah, we'll get into that, all that in just a second. But what was your reaction uh, when the word leaked out last Tuesday? Well, um, obviously I was ecstatic because I was one of the uh, handful that have always uh, kept the torch burning. I think I was carrying the torch with the biggest flame, if you ask me, because, um, you know, I just, uh, whenever I have an opportunity to mention the NHL or hockey and anything I was doing, whether hosting SportsCenter or even before I was, we had in the crease on ESPN Plus, and I made people uh, realize that, you know, some of us, 
still cared about the NHL. And it's not like ESPN didn't care. It just wasn't their property anymore. So they had to focus on different things, things that they committed uh, a lot of money to and a, a lot of commitment to. Uh, now, since ESPN, and I'm not surprised I, um, that it's back, uh, I, I give a lot of credit to, um, you know, Jimmy Pitaro, who took over as the head of ESPN several years ago. And I knew deep down after having conversations with him instantly that what we did was talk hockey. He uh, grew up a Rangers fan. And I bring up the story a lot because it really made an impact on me when he held a, a town meeting about two years ago here in Los Angeles for my colleagues and myself in L.A. in the studio, ESPN studio in L.A., um, one of my colleagues, not on the broadcast team but on the production side, stood up and asked Jimmy, uh, a question, and the question was, um, which sports property um, that you don't have right now at ESPN are you most anxious to get? Jimmy Pitaro wasted no time. I don't think he blinked an eye, and he said, the NHL. And that's when I knew, and that's when I, I felt there was, my hope became even bigger than that, where I knew the NHL was going to come back eventually. Yeah, I was on the uh, Zoom call last the week when the, for the official announcement, and Jimmy did seem like very enthusiastic. Uh, he loves seeing, as you said, he's a Ranger fan. Uh, I'm a Flyers yep. fan, so we'll, we'll, we'll debate out the Flyers-Rangers. I remember that, Ken. I remember you're a Flyers fan. <laughs> hey, listen, you know what? You know who's looking down right now and loving this? Uh, the legend, the great, the late, great Tom Knees. Yes. Uh, one of my good buddies and really helped me when I first started at ESPN make that transition. We did uh, many, 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 many late night sports centers, 2 a.m., you know, Eastern on a Saturday or Friday night. And he was a Flyers fan. And of course, I was a big Ranger fan. And we would go at it. And Tom Knees is a big reason why. Um, you know, I, he's one of the, the men that I attribute for my success and growth as a broadcaster because he was so real and genuine, and he was an amazing hockey fan and Flyers fan. Yeah, I talked with Tom back in the, before the 1992 Frozen Four, which was played here in Albany. Uh, so he, 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 I, I appreciate his work. He worked hard to play. Maybe may not been the most talented, but he worked hard at it, and he got better as it, as it went along. I just, I always thought he was great. I thought he was one of the best sports center anchors because he was real. He was genuine. He was not about making up things along the fly. I mean, yeah. I say this story a lot. Like, um, um, it's so vivid co-anchoring with him and <laughs> watching him do a highlight. You know, when the camera wasn't on and watching him do a highlight and I'm looking over at him and he's looking over at me and he's, he's, he's very animated and using his hands. And uh, honestly, I, um, that rubbed off on me. Uh, the way, even though I always love doing highlights, but the just the way to, how do you say it? Like, you know, you can have passion for a sport, but maybe you don't know how to express it mm -hmm. and let people know the way it should be expressed. And Tom Mees, by just watching him, that rubbed off on me. And, and I feel he was a big reason why I became so good at doing highlights. And, of course, uh, he, I remember back in, he was also the studio host back in the uh, 80s, and I remember him almost losing it when he saw uh, Bill Clement uh, Mike Emmerich during that uh, quadruple overtime game with the Capitals and Islanders in 1997, and uh, Bill was out of his shirt, just in his undershirt, and it was a, that was a nutso night. Oh, I was it? Well, you mean was it was it um, Bill and was it Bill and Gary Thorne? No, right? no, no, no. It was, it was Bill and Doc Emmerich back then, 1987. Doc Emmerich, wow! Did not know that one. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that, that was, that's funny. Yeah, that was the four-time game where uh, Bill had his uh, tie around his head and 
uh, undershirt off, and I think I'm like, <laughs> I do remember that vision, yeah. which I'm trying to forget. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's get back to the conversation at hand. What, what do we think the impact of having uh, the NHL back on ESPN? Well, first of all, I just think that um, the exposure. I mean, just look around. When ESPN has a product and make a commitment to it, they really know how to cover it uh, in all ways. And it's not going to be like it was back in the day when we didn't have technology, social media, streaming services, and all that. Although... We still have this is Sports Center commercials, so that will still be fun, and there'll be more and more hockey players involved in that. You know, I, I really um, keep in touch with a lot of these players over the years, and some currently, and, you know, they share stories of uh, situations where, you know, they're sitting in hotel rooms, Ken, and they're like, watching ESPN, and they don't see their highlights on. This was, of course, when we didn't have the product. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then watching these other professional athletes get a lot of attention, a lot of, uh, you know, exposure that helps them put more money in their pocket, you know, with commercials, etc. not only sports center commercials, which lead to money-making commercials, right? You yeah. know, we know the big sponsors that use, uh, use these certain athletes. And that is what also is very, very attractive to these players, not only getting seen now uh, and will be seen come October, uh, more so, and with all due respect to NBC, I don't mean this as a slight to them, of course, they did their best, but ESPN has such, I don't know, the capital, so to speak, in all levels uh, to expose the NHL to to casual sports fans and to sell them on it. And maybe the purists won't like to hear that, but I think the purists, um, and I'm a purist, I'll call myself a purist, mm-hmm. you know, I'm old school, but it took me a while to realize that, you know, if, if a Stephen A. Smith is talking about hockey in a entertaining way and in a positive way and in a fun way, uh, that should be embraced and welcomed. That's, yeah. that's an important part of the entertainment aspect of bringing your sport to eyeballs that normally wouldn't care less or wouldn't even think about it or would think about the league as an afterthought. I think that's why, and that helps what uh, ESPN can bring as well. That's another, so they not only, of course, bring that, solid info, and I don't want to hear from people who say, oh, you know, ESPN doesn't care about hockey, you know, and they, you know, blah, 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 they, they always make mistakes and blah, blah, I mean, come on. I mean, really? I mean, they're going to be in for a shock. The, the haters, the critics out there, um, you know, just watch. That's all I'm going to say is just watch. I knew it was... It was you know, the, the impact uh, last Wednesday watching the noon sports center when I saw Barry Melrose on talking the regular season hockey. And to me, that was like, okay, we're, you know, ESPN's back in the game and ready to go. And I, I was encouraged by that. Yeah, I mean, but it's not only going to be, uh, I mean, I don't know a lot because it's just in the infant stages of uh, figuring out uh, how things are going to be done, but it's only six months away. So they're definitely already talking, the decision makers. Um, but um, you're going to have history, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to forget your history, which is the NHL on ESPN. Um, but you're about the now and you're about the future. And so uh, that is not going to be skipped over. It's not just going to be like, oh, let's just put so-and-so and this and that and blah, 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 blah. No, you're going to see a product that you've never seen before. And that's, that's all I know and that's what I will say. So it's not going to be like, Oh, it's going to be back in the day, and you know, just because we'll have the same music, which, by the way, is fabulous, yes. uh, doesn't mean everything is going to be exactly the same, and every person will be exactly the same. Yeah. 
Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Donald Money Jr., when I posted on Facebook that I was going to be speaking with you, he, his question for you is, if you were in charge or at least have the year of both your bosses at ESPN and the NHL, how would you go about growing the popularity of the sport given the reach of the Disney ESPN vehicle? Well, there are so many ways to do that, and it's a great question. It's just showing off the personality of these players, okay, and, sh- and showing off ways um, to uh, sell the game. You know, and, and, you know, I don't have to tell you, Ken, um, how many times do people say, well, you know, the people that don't like hockey, you know, it's hard to uh, follow the game on TV or, um, you know, there's too many rules. Really? There are too many rules? <laughs> Not really. No, it isn't. So, you know, you would try to, um, what I found that is very important, um, and it's something that I would share with if, if they asked me, the, I don't want, I don't want us to talk down. To our viewers, meaning I don't want, you know, ESPN to assume, because I think NBC did that a little bit, you know, at times, whether it was a, like a national game of the week on their, on NBC, where they were hoping to bring in casual viewers, because you don't want to turn off the true fan, Mm -hmm. right? I know people say, oh, well, they won't go anywhere, but, you know, I don't think it shines bright. So I think that you can have a, a great balance. But I don't think it should be like the old days, and you remember the old days when Fox took over and had glowing pucks, and and even before that, I think it was CBS who had Peter Puck. I'm dating myself, by the way. Uh, You know, like type of thing. So I think, you know, what's great about ESPN, you have intelligent sports people and sports fans always gravitate to ESPN. And these are sports fans that watch ESPN. The sport is now on a channel that is a sports channel, a sports network. It's not on a, you know, uh, these other channels, right? Mm-hmm. That NBC, whatever, you know, type of thing. So I think um, I think that's important. So I think it's important to find a balance between educating and entertaining the casual sports fan who may not know a lot about hockey, but but don't talk down, you know, don't talk down because then you're going to turn away or turn off uh, a lot of the diehard hockey fans and NHL fans, but the bosses don't need me to tell them that. They already know things like that. That's why they get paid the big bucks. (laughs) What does this deal do for Gary Bettman's legacy? I mean, the NHL commissioner took a risk back uh, when after the coming out of the 2004-2005 lockout, took a no-rights fee from NBC and uh, games from from NBC Outdoor Life Network to what he's gotten, gotten now. With ESPN, it's going to be a second uh, deal he's going to have uh, finalized soon. What does this do for his legacy with TV? Well, I already think, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Bettman. I already think, I mean, just look in recent history, what he's done, a labor piece for as long as he has pulled it off. He's done it during a pandemic. He pulled off what was a remarkable seat return to play situation last year when a true champion was crowned the right champion. No mm-hmm. fluke that Tampa Bay Lightning were Stanley Cup champs. He's, he's, this season has been, you know, knock on wood, a success. You know, the adjusting, the pivoting, uh, everything about it, the protocols. Um, and I think, you know, he always knew in the back of his mind, I can't speak for him, but, you know, he felt he did the right thing at the right time for the league. And uh, he always looked big picture and he always, you know, wanted to be at a place where he felt his league would get the proper exposure and coverage. And at the same time, you know, make money for play, for the league and the players as best he could as he getting got, got along with the Players Association, and which is why we have Labor Peace. 
But he knew that going back to ESPN, this was the right time. It all it all worked out this way, and it comes after a pandemic uh, because we all believe, you know, by October things will be, you know, a little as close to normal as it can be. And um, this means more money for the league, more money for the players. And like I said, the exposure will, leave, will mean even more money. So I, I've already been a fan of Gary Batman. I already thought he's, his legacy, even before this, was really one of the greatest commissioners, not only in the history of this, but perhaps the greatest commissioner in the history of the National Hockey League. Um, you know, you could make a case, but also because of the different challenges that other commissioners in the past never had to deal with. Yeah. Uh, by the way, okay, you have to keep that in mind. But he has shown... He's one of the best commissioners in sports, period. I know it's too early to think about this, Linda, but uh, what would you like your role to be uh, when the games return? Uh, I have no idea, uh, but, you know, those smart people in suits, um, you know, they know how much uh, what I mean to the game and what people in the NHL community think of me and how they know I, you know, what I mean to hockey and how much I love it. So, um uh, I know I'm going to have um, a role. Um, we'll see how it goes, but I know nothing. But I've, uh, you know, they they know they know that you know I expect big things. But I think bigger picture is that um, hockey's back on ESPN. So uh, you know I'm in a great position um, to do something. Now I, you know, people say, "Oh, Linda, you want to do play by play? Oh, Linda, do you want to be an analyst?" I think there are so many qualified women now. Uh, that yeah. have become analysts. Mm-hmm. I mean, A.J. Malesko comes to mind. I think she does a fabulous job. Yeah. Started out with the Islanders, now on NBC. Um, but I, I enjoy, you know, hosting, um, you know, pre- and post-game intermission, and I enjoy interviewing players and doing features on them. And they, and I'm, I, I enjoy interviewing players because uh, I'm, I like bringing out their personalities and having fun. And so um, stuff like that. But I really don't know. Whatever it is, it is. I'm just glad I have an opportunity to be a part of it. Well, let's talk about your Rangers a little bit here. Um, they've been up and down this season. Their goaltending situation, obviously, uh, they let uh, the, the king go, Hendrik Lundqvist. Uh, Mika uh, Zibanejad has been struggling, uh, as one of our re- uh, listeners, uh, Craig Gold, mentioned. Uh, what, what is it with the Rangers right now? I mean, that right now, Keith Kincaid is – I guess the guy, Keith, of course, a former Union College hockey goaltender. Yeah, I mean, I love Keith Kincaid. I mean, he's funny. You know, he's one of those character guys, you know, that, you know, he just makes you laugh. Um, But um, seriously, with the Rangers situation, uh, yeah, they've been up and down. But, you know, I hate to use excuses, but they have a handful of them. Uh, Mika Zibanejad uh, was the first guy I drafted on my NHL fantasy team this year. (laughs) And every time I'm thinking about benching him, I say, don't do it, because this will be the game he breaks out, and I'm still waiting for that game to happen. (laughs) So he's constantly a starter in my my league for me and my team. But uh, seriously, I think it will happen, but I think that's a big reason. I mean, this guy scored 41 goals a year ago. I mean, that's a big reason why the Rangers are on the outside looking in on playoff position. And then plus Artemi Panarin without leave of absence, that didn't help. And even before that, he was off to a, you know, up and down start there, but he's back and he's looking good. 
And I think that's big. I think that, um, and, you know, the goaltending situation, it is what it is, you know, uh, with Georgiev not really, um, you know, playing spotty at times. And that's why Kincaid has had an opportunity with, you know, certain injuries and such. But um, bottom line, there's a lot of positives. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich has shocked me. I honestly didn't think he would become the player that he is. Um, and he has helped keep the Rangers in somewhat of playoff contention because of the great year he has had. Adam Fox another guy it's just fantastic to see so the rangers have done a lot of great things um and a lot of players are having really good seasons chris Kreider is having a great year but unless panarin and zimbanajad comes out from that slumber and i'm i'm seeing signs but unless he breaks out i mean these 27 28 26 games left um the rangers will have to be out of the postseason because it'll take that kind of situation for them to compete in those final weeks well, you might have to put a, Zibanejad as a healthy scratch one of these times. I'm afraid to, Ken. The one time I do, he's going to have like a 10.9, meaning for fantasy purposes. Yeah. <laughs> as, we, as we're taping this on Wednesday, it was announced earlier on Wednesday that the Buffalo Sabres uh, fired uh, Ralph Kruger as head coach. Sabres are just a mess right now. Oh, it's awful. I mean, as we're taping this, 12 straight losses. I mean, it's just sad. I mean, I don't have to tell your listeners what a great fan base the Sabres have. It's so, my brother-in-law and my sister are big Sabres fans. They live in Buffalo. So, you know, I feel their pain, but I mean, I thought there's no offense to Ralph Kruger, not that it's a hundred percent his fault, but I thought this firing was going to happen three weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I just think you need to bring in someone that has a resume. Um, I like Bruce Boudreaux a lot. Uh, players love him. I, I, you know, I just, I just think that would be a, a good guy to take a look at uh, and see what's up, um, you know, to start over again with a, you know, I know there people are saying certain college coaches and no offense to them because the Rangers obviously have a great one in David Quinn, but, you know, you just, you just need something because you know, hate to think that this roster has to be blown up again. And who really saw the whole Jeff Skinner thing coming. Yeah. I mean, who thought? I mean, who thought that was going to be a disaster with his two goals? And you know, um, I mean, maybe signing for that deal that that he was signed for was a big mistake. The big money, the long term. But um, there were a lot of things that happened and have happened to the Sabers that nobody thought was going to happen. Linus Olmark was having a fabulous year in goal. He got hurt. I mean, I mean, look what happened yesterday. I mean, again, it's. Uh, I guess it was Tuesday yeah. night. Taylor Hall gets hit with a puck. I mean, he came back, but I mean, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Yeah, and Jack Eichel just—I uh, don't—I wouldn't say disinterested, but he just doesn't seem happy there. And now no, he's hurt. I, now he's hurt. No, and, now, and then he got hurt, and you know, I mean, I was hoping maybe they would trade him before he would have got hurt because you know the stock would be high. I mean, hopefully this injury isn't you know too serious. Um, but yeah, they have to think the trading deadline. They have to start, uh, you know, see what their what pieces are still valuable. Taylor Hall is one of them, of course. And, and you know, you might have to think about it. But I do feel for the Sabres fans. It's 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 mystifying to me. It's like they're jinxed. Yeah. yeah. By the way, should we have any wager in the rest of the season series between the Flyers and Rangers? Oh, I know, right? I mean, how, how about Kevin Hayes? I was such I a love him. I love him. Hayes. Oh, he's a great Flyer. And I and I'm, honestly, when the Flyers hired A.V. as your head coach, I love Elaine Vigneault. Yeah. He's a great coach for the Rangers. He was fabulous. 
Um, you know, I thought he was fantastic. But Kevin Hayes, uh, just so happy for him. And, you know, I, sure, I grew up a Rangers fan and I still follow them religiously, but I root for players uh, now. I really do. And I root for all these former Rangers who are part of that core group mm-hmm. that are now finding success elsewhere. You know, the, the Ryan McDonough, you know, who won the Stanley Cup with the Lightning last year. The JT Miller, who, you know, found himself with Vancouver. And guys like Kevin Hayes, another great example. So, you know, on paper, the Flyers have so much, uh, have, a, have a better team than the Rangers. I said that before the season. I'll say it again. Um, also, to, to show you I mean business, you'd be, you'd be shocked, Ken. I have JVR, Jake Horacek, and Shane Gostasfair on my fantasy team. Wow. So there. Wow. Shane Gostasfair. I have more Flyers than Rangers. I just <laughs> added Gostasfair because he's playing well lately. Yeah, he's bounced back. I covered him at Union for three years, uh, culminating with the National Championship in 2014. And uh, he you know, got off to a great start with his pro career. I mean, he had a knee injury early on, but uh, – See, he seems to be finding his game back. He seems, he seems healthy, which is – I'm happy for him. Oh, absolutely. He's still so young. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the way they're come, coming in the NHL these days at the young age, and if you're not producing by the time you're 20 years old, some people think you're a failure. Well, that's tough. I mean, it sounds like we're talking about the NFL and quarterbacks, right? <laughs> if you don't make an instant impact right out of the draft, you're a bust. Oh, so don't so, get, yeah, me, don't, don't get me started with my Eagles there. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, that that's a team. See, uh, you, you know, me, New York girl, you would think I would hate all Philly teams. That's not true. I don't hate the Flyers. But, um, yeah, the Eagles, that's a different story. Yeah. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 my son and I visited uh, MetLife Stadium twice in our time here, and uh, we're 2-0 and at, at, at MetLife when we've been in games there. So, I'm Well, you must have been going there recently. Yes. <laughs> well, Linda, where can people find you on social media? Okay, always can be found at Linda Cohn, C-O-H-N, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I don't really, I'm not a TikTok girl, and I'm not on Facebook. I'm, I'm on Facebook, but I don't look at it. And also, definitely, if I'm not hosting SportsCenter, you can find me daily, uh, Hockey Highlight Show, in the crease on ESPN+, Plus, on ESPN+. Plus. And, and it's great. And sometimes on Mad Dog Radio. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Ken. Uh, Yeah, weekends uh, on usually Saturdays on SiriusXM, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Absolutely. Well, Linda, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, Stay well out there and on the coast. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Maybe we'll get around the Stanley Cup time. We'll we'll chat again. Sounds good, Ken. Great job. Thank you so much. Thanks, Linda. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and announce the Week 5 winner in the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today.
The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Union Women's Hockey Coach Josh Skiba. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Week 5 of the NASCAR season is in the books, and the winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Adam Crotty of Rensselaer. Adam wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Adam. Nick Plater of Grand Premier Tires was the winning VIP advertiser. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will also appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. That Mad March College basketball thing is on the horizon. In fact, it tips off Thursday. So sign up for the Daily Gazette's Bracket Challenge, presented by Ultimate Roofing. Go to dailygazettecollegehoops.upickem.net to sign up. The first place prize is $500, the second place prize is $200, and the third place prize is $100. Plus, you'll have a chance to win national prizes and a national bonus prize of $1 million. So sign up today. The contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Adam Schinder, Ram Pecknall, Brent Brecky, Don Vaughn, and Linda Cohn for coming on the show. I'll have an extra edition of the Parting Shots podcast on Friday. I'll speak with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Micah Kelly about the Siena men's basketball team's early exit from the MAC tournament. We'll also discuss the firing of Saints women's basketball coach Allie Jacks and UAlbany men's basketball coaching situation. I'll also talk Siena lacrosse with men's coach Liam Gleason and women's coach Abby Rafus. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.